Hey, everybody, Scott Burnside here in another edition of Two Man Advantage, the podcast, the post-trade deadline edition. Joining us, Pierre Lebrun, as always, a man barely alive, barely awake as we speak after the tumultuous afternoon that was a trade deadline, and Pierre had to cover a game after that. Nice. And Craig Custance joining us in Detroit. And uh, boys, I was thinking about it this morning as we were getting ready, and See about the aftermath of the trade deadline. It reminds me, you guys both have younger families. It reminds me of Christmas morning after all the presents have been open and the wrapping is everywhere and maybe some toys are already broken and people are crying and people are laughing and maybe you just want to go back to bed. That's sort of how I felt after the trade trade deadline passed on Monday. That's sort of, wow, what what the hell happened here? Right. Craig, are you with me? Are you, are you, are you buying my analogy? Or? I, well, I, I don't know what that last um, 15 minutes was, but it was like, we're, you know, it was, it was waiting, waiting, waiting. And then it was like, okay, let's see how many trades we can cram in. I, like the Jets, I don't know how they did it, but they made like 15 more trades, <laughs> you know, in the, in the window from three to four. It, it, was, it was crazy. Yeah. And I don't know, Pierre, how you covered a game last night. Good for you. Well, I wasn't in an arena, but I was in the studio for Habs Doubles, and uh, I'm, I was a zombie, basically. But uh, <laughs> yeah. l- work out of you, Pierre, as always. By the way, you just uh, crushed it. Well, yeah. I think everyone everyone had their moments yesterday. But uh, I was going to say the 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 uh, the the, Chris, the next day Christmas analogy is a good one, Scotty, because usually I'm quite hungover for both post trade deadline and for post Christmas. <laughs> but I actually did not. I did not. Uh, I was not able to. Uh, to have a glass of wine last night as I had to do that game. Yeah, it, it was, uh, it pretty much went like I, I honestly, I, I always figure the last hour is how it is these days. You know, I think yeah. teams are, the sellers have to hold out as long as they can. And you saw that with Chuck Fletcher on Wayne Simmons, with Ray Shiro and Marcus Johansson. Um, you know, buyers are, are showing more austerity now. And, and uh, you know, I, I don't know that those guys really got exactly what they wanted for those rentals, but uh, yeah, lots to dive into. I mean, on top of everything we saw in the final hour, uh, as both uh, Mike Russo, our terrific beat guy in Minnesota, and I, uh, we had a co-tweet last night because we, we ended up phoning each other and finding out some of the same information. But Calgary thought they had a deal with Minnesota involving Jason Zucker. So we'll have, I'm going to try and find out more today, and so will Mike Russo. But uh, that would have been another big deal, which makes sense now uh, when you look at the fact that Calgary wasn't able to acquire a forward uh, by the end of the day. Yeah, interesting. Um, all right, well, let's I, let's start with, for me, the the team that, like, I still, even today, I, I think of the Columbus Blue Jackets, and I think of Yarmo Kekalainen, and I, I wish, you know, you wish you could be in on some of these days and these uh, in the, the war room or the boardrooms or whatever, but you wonder what it's been like in Columbus the last four or five days. And, uh, and Yarmo Kekalainen, I'm sure you guys are getting the same sort of response from scouts or other executives. Like, talk about being all in. Like, Yarmo Kekalainen was like, okay, I, I'm, I'm going to bring in a bunch of guys. And by the end of, it's even, like, it's not out of the realm of possibility they could miss the playoffs. I don't think it's going to happen. But, you know, by April 7th, they could watch Adam McQuaid, uh, Keith Kincaid, Matt Duchesne, uh, Ryan Zingle, Sergei Bobrovsky, Artemi Panarin. Am I missing Is it, am I missing, missing any other red folks? All those guys could walk out the door, could just be gone from that team. Wow. But by the same token, we could still be talking about them 
come mid June and and who knows, maybe a trip to a East final, maybe a trip to their, you know, to a, who knows, right? I mean, you just, you don't know, but talk about being all in that. That was Yarmo Kekalainen in the Columbus Blue Jackets. Are you, are you surprised, Greg? <laughs> here's what I, I think that I was waiting for it. Thank you, Pierre. Um, here's what I was like this whole time. i honestly, I didn't believe this, the, the, the all in notion. I, I thought this was all a, an attempt to, to take control of a situation where, where, you know, they had, they had the, these two big rentals and, and by acquiring everybody else, you, you know, I, I, I saw it as an attempt to then, you know, seize the market and then have control of it. And, and then I assume Panarin was going to go this whole time, even when, you know, I'm, I was being told otherwise that, look, this, this makes a Panarin deal less likely. I was like, Oh, okay, sure. I'm, I'm sure that's the case because I just, I, it just seemed to your point, Scott, it just seemed, like such a giant bet that that it was going to be worth worth it to that to acquire all of these players risk on some level risk even missing the playoffs and again I doubt that um, and get nothing in return. Now you know they, there's still a lot of players here they can sign. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if if Matt Duchesne ends up staying and and you know I, I think that the expectation was there wasn't any expectations of him signing or extending when he went to Columbus, but. You know, Matt Duchesne's a that's that's a great city. This is a guy who went back and got his family. He's got a, a, a newborn, you know, whatever it is, a, a month old. Uh, he went back and got his dog. And I think of you know this guy settling in, wanting a place to settle in. Columbus is this great city. Uh, you hear all the time from players there that it's a great place to raise a family. So to me, let's say they have this run, I I, I wouldn't rule out Matt Duchesne really liking it there and, and finding a home. Yeah, I think it's possible, but I wouldn't bet on it now. <laughs> my take on that. I think I, I think all along that. Well, he Nashville, hasn't fallen in love with the city yet, Pierre. That's part yeah, of my no, plan. I, and I hope he does because <laughs> I, I love the way the Blue Jackets have built their team and the way they operate. And and every time I go to Columbus, I'm reminded that it's one of the great secrets of the NHL. And and I think a lot of players who go there feel that way. Obviously, not Panarin and Bobrovsky, but um, um, I still think Deshane goes to market. But we'll see. Maybe you're right. Maybe a long run will. will will change that and that's what happens often i think dezingle has a good chance of signing right he went to ohio state if i'm not mistaken and uh has connections yeah yeah so i think that's uh that's certainly and you know i'm not surprised panarin didn't move only because i kept talking to other teams who i thought would be interested in him and they said there's no way yarmo's moving them so it'll be interesting i haven't had a chance to double back and check with people in the blue jackets organization yet because we're taping this at 8 a.m eastern but um (laughs) You know, I I suspect that you know, I don't know if Yarmo wanted to move Panarin at the end of the day that much. I mean, I was on his conference call on Sunday morning and and it seemed pretty open-ended to me either way that he could live with either reality. But I suspect that the narrative probably did him no favors if he was truly waiting for that big offer because every team I talked to on Sunday said, well, I, I, won't, I won't even bother calling. So, so that's the interesting thing is the all-in narrative I think gave a lot of teams the impression they shouldn't even bother trying to trade for him. Now, I'm sure there were still calls yesterday, but that's an interesting byproduct of the world we live in now. Well, let me ask, before we move on from from Columbus, it, to me, they're one of the teams that you have that will be so fascinating to watch now in, in the final. I'm just looking at the standings now. So they have 21 games left. Um, you have all these moving parts to integrate now. And what a challenge for John Tortorella, who I don't know if you saw his 
presser yesterday when Tom Reed's phone went off on his on the podium, which is you should go and watch it now, and because it was it was classic towards. And but what, talk about the challenge of you know trying to now assemble or reassemble your team really when you have all these new moving parts. You know Adam McQuaid's you know, guys. He's going to be a great ad there. He's a Stanley Cup winner. He's he's. I talked to a scout yesterday. He's like. That's and he was talking about Ben Love joining Adam McQuaid. And he said those are the guys that coaches love because they know what to do. They're low maintenance, all those kinds of things. But when you have so many different parts that you're now trying to integrate into your system and get them ready to play meaningful playoff hockey in let's call it five weeks or whatever the, the actual number is, that's that that's a hard it sometimes it doesn't come together the way you need it to, and that's um, and I wonder what you think of Columbus and and the challenge now for John Tortorella. Pierre, let's start with you, because it, 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 it's different than if you just add one guy or like Washington did last year with with Michael Kempney. You know, it was one guy that you integrated into your group. Now you've got a whole group you're integrating into another group. Yeah. But they, they, listen, they've proven all year that they have a tight room anyway. I mean, I, I talked, with, I chatted with Nick Foligno about this midway through the season when Columbus was in Toronto and wrote a piece of The Athletic on how, and this is before the Bobrovsky uh, so-called incident in Tampa Bay, but on how they had dealt head-on with this whole notion that they were probably going to lose Bobrovsky and Panera on July 1st. Uh, you know, they had a big meeting with management and the coaching staff at training camp. They all sort of, emptied their chest about it and and went out and played a played a season and it, it was kind of interesting the way Columbus has approached all this and and because of that I think that all these new players enter a room that is so uh well run by Foligno in particular but by all the leaders in that room and you could just tell with the smile on Panarin's face that you know he's been very open his teammates know he's going to market that he's leaving but that he's going to play his tail off for them till the day he's a Blue Jacket. And I think there's a respect of, of, of that, right? I mean, uh, this is the day and age where, you know, on the front of your jersey, it says jackets, on, uh, but underneath it says NHLPA too. Everyone understands it's a business. <laughs> and and I think there's a respect for the business decision that, that Panarin and Borowski are making. But as long as they're pros until the day their contract expires, and and they will be, and so I think the Jackets have embraced that, and because of that, when you bring in a Duchesne, a, a Dzingle, McQuaid, I, I think it's easy to integrate them, at least chemistry-wise. Obviously, on the ice with John Tortorella, you have to make it all fit as well. But I, I don't know. I I'll tell you right now, I think that Metro Division is wide open. Uh, I still think Washington is probably the team to beat. Um, with respect to the cup champions, I think the Islanders an amazing story, but with them being so quiet at the deadline, I think that exposes them a bit. And I think Columbus can come out of there. I, the one thing I joke about with Columbus is make sure you, you get the, if you end up a wildcard team, make sure you end up in the right one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Can you imagine? Here's what I'll say. I think it's worth noting this caveat um, as we're all marveling over what Columbus did is it's, you know, when was the last time the team that won the trade deadline had any postseason success, right? Like, we all get sure. excited on February 26th about the team that made the splashy moves. And, and now this is the extreme. Like, I don't, I can't remember the last time a team did what Columbus did. But it doesn't ever seem to work out. You know, it's to your point about Michael Kempney and Scott, you wrote that piece about it. it, it those are, it is the teams that kind of tweak or, or add small small movements it, that that tend to have the more success for all the reasons you said it takes a while like i just saw san jose 
and I was talking to to some of the players there and and Pete DeBoer about Eric Carlson. It you know it mm-hmm. took him 15 games to to kind of find his way, maybe 10 to 15 games. So let like if that's the case for all these players, and this is Eric Carlson's one of the best players in the world, you know we're we're getting close to to crunch time there. So. Um, it's it's a big gamble, and, and history actually suggests it's probably not going to work. Yeah, well, I, mean, it, I, guess the, I guess the '94 Rangers made that made those huge moves at the deadline, right? I mean, they just had their anniversary, and and uh, they made well, how many players came in for the deadline? Not '94 Rangers team, like seven or eight. Yeah, and, it's a long and time ago. Point, yeah, yeah, it's a different system, different world, but they still end up winning the cup with all those moves. I mean. Yeah, it, it, it's not common, and and you, you bring up a great point on Carlson. I mean, when PK Subban got traded to uh, Nashville in the off season, it took him a good two months, I think, to find his stride in Nashville. So it, I think for some of these guys, it, it, there's a big adjustment. But I just, again, I just feel because of the way Columbus has handled the year from the get go, with what should have been a disaster of a season because of the way it was set up with Panarin and Bobrovsky. They, they've actually handled that kind of adversity, and I think that's going to come in handy now as they try to sort of, you know, make this work in a hurry here. Yeah. Well, you you talk about high-end players and integra- integrating them into their system. San Jose brought in a, a, a really good player in Gustav Nyquist, and they continue to add. You know, a year ago it was Evander Kane, obviously Eric Carlson at the, the beginning of this season. Uh, I want to circle back to San Jose, but first let's talk about the other – big like, I, I don't think it's stretched now to call mark stone a superstar right i mean the, i think the way people talk about him and, and how they project his career to go um that that he is he's he's a, a top 10 player he's an elite nhl player and i just saw the video on on twitter of mark stone arriving in las vegas they had the uh, dancing girls i think there might have been a band there they Mascot was there and GM George McPhee. Yeah, giving Mark Sloan a great big hug. And why not? Uh, as George McPhee, he took he 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 struck out. He went down swinging a year ago at the deadline, trying to get Eric Carlson. And Pierre, you know, it went right to the deadline again yesterday. Oh my George goodness. McPhee got the the you know the perhaps the most impactful player, at least on paper, available in the marketplace. Instantly signed him to an eight-year deal with a $9.5 million AAV. What do you make of, of, of how this went down and, and and what it means for Vegas? A Vegas team that really right now is, is is going, I mean, to say they're going sideways is a bit charitable. They're really sort of just treading water mm-hmm. uh, in the Pacific Division. What, what's your take of this whole Mark Stone to Vegas uh, deal? Yeah, well, first, I think Nashville had the best day, but I think Vegas obviously got the best player. And we'll see how that all uh, meshes out in the end. But um you know, this was an off-season move by the Vegas Golden Knights. I mean, they're never going to paint it that way. They're going to say we have a chance to win again this year, which is true. But this was an off-season move. They they had Mark Stone written in their July 1st calendar a long time ago. And I think by now most people listening understand the long-standing relationship between Kelly McCrimmon, the assistant GM, and Mark Stone and Mark Stone's family. Um, this is a second father figure to Mark Stone. Like, these two guys are so close goes back to their WHL Brandon days. And, uh, you know, it's this would have been really emotional for these two guys to to be reunited like this after their time together in junior. And, um, Is Kelly going to take him to Seattle with him? Well, I, I was, was just gonna, thinking I, the same thing. I, I was going to say, <laughs> I, I was going to say, take him to Seattle in three years or, or, uh, or, or trade him to Edmonton to play with Connor McDavid in a year. One, one or the other for Kelly McCrimmon. But, um, 
but that was the huge connection here. And I'll tell you why it's important because, uh, so my understanding is they agree essentially to terms on the trade around two fifteen Eastern. Okay. Ottawa and Vegas. But then Vegas says to Pierre Dorio, <clears throat> we don't have a trade unless we sign Mark Stone. So then in the next half hour, as Pierre Dorio is frantically sitting at his office saying, this better not fall apart on me. Vegas is negotiating with Newport Sports on an extension for uh, for Mark Stone. Vegas is not making this trade without the agreement in place, right? Um, you know, we just had Mark Stone and Newport negotiate with the Ottawa Senators for like a month and not come to an agreement. Vegas and Vegas and Stone is trying to do it in 30 minutes, mm. which they did. But I'm just saying that half hour was quite nervy for especially the Ottawa Senators, but Vegas too, not to mention the history between the two teams where they had an Eric Carlson trade fall apart in the last, you know, 10, 15 minutes of the trade deadline a year ago. And then they had an Eric Carlson trade not go through the summer, which really frustrated Vegas, really frustrated. So there's some history between these two organizations to boot. But at the end of the day, um, this is why I wanted to start with the Kelly McCrae and Mark Stone relationship. Newport hammers out a deal with Vegas. I think they'll announce it. I guess they can't sign it until March 1st, I think for CBA reasons, but, uh, that clinches the deal. Now, the thing that fascinates me is what if they can't negotiate the contract? What if the signing bonuses are an issue or, or what have you, and that deal falls apart? Does Pierre Dorio have a, a plan B trade on the table? Oh, my goodness. Well, I suspect he did, but just picture the idea that <laughs> that Vegas-Ottawa deal almost could have fallen apart if they don't negotiate that extension. That's the crazy part of all this for me. Craig, what, what does, how important was, is this deal for Vegas, do you think? And, and again, you know, maybe it doesn't matter that they are three, six and one in their last 10 and they they look a little bit aimless and Gerard Gallant's that, you know, is benching veteran guys to try and smooth things out. I mean, to me, this is still a team that you don't want to play in the playoffs, right? I still think Marc-Andre Fleury is, you know, he's, everyone's gone a bit sideways there. Marc-Andre Fleury is a Hall of Fame goaltender. Uh, You've got Max Pacioretty there. You've got Paul Stastny there. Now you add Mark Stone to this. Does it change how you view the Pacific? Does it change how you view the, the Western Conference? Or what's your take on that? I mean, yeah, for sure. And the interesting thing about you mentioned Pacioretty and and Stastny, like those two seem to. Uh, just, I spoke with both of those guys recently, and they they said they're they're just finally getting some time together, getting some chemistry together, and, and they're seeing on the ice, you know, playing kind of a, a good two man game together. And now you add Mark Stone to that equation. Uh, I mean, that's that's yeah. I think I think it does kind of change the the change the Pacific, especially since Calgary wasn't able to get that deal done. And, and San Jose adds Gus Nyquist, um, kind of a sneaky good ad that, that flew a little bit under the radar. Uh, to me, the, the most interesting thing about the Mark Stone trade was, was in kind of Pierre, you alluded to this, but there was, there just, there didn't seem to be this, the, the market for the rentals this year. And, and the, you know, you look at the biggest trades, it was the guys that were willing to sign extensions in Mark mm-hmm. Stone or it was it was the guys that had term on their contract. You look back, starting with the Jake Muzzin trade. Um, you know there was that hockey trade essentially with Nashville and Minnesota, and you know the Charlie Coyle deal. Like the, really, the premium was paid, and I and really it's smart. Like these, a lot of these were kind of offseason moves, and and there just doesn't seem to be this appetite to send a first round pick and a prospect 
for a guy that that's going to walk in a couple months because yeah. for all the uncertainty that we talked about. And so that, that, that to me, like Mark Stone seemed to be the one guy who said, okay, th- there will be, this will be the one rental where a team will pay the premium. And to your point, Pierre, they, they weren't willing to like it. There had to be a deal in place in terms of a contract extension. So I, I found that interesting because I, I think that may change the dynamic moving forward because teams are going to be like, you know, we're not going to, we can't wait to make a decision on, on this guy's walk year. I think we're going to see guys traded more and more in the year before they leave. And we are already yes. starting to see that because, because teams aren't getting what they want for rentals anymore. Yeah. And a great example of that is what David Poyle has done since the day he lost Ryan Suter. When, mm. when he, when he went to the wire with Ryan Suter, Ryan Suter went to Minnesota, David Poyle made a conscious decision that he was never going to go to the wire again with the core UFA. And so last summer, if Ryan Ellis hasn't signed that extension one year out, I'm telling you this right now, Ryan Ellis is traded by the end of October this year. Yeah. Okay? Yeah, for sure. So so I think more and more teams are, are, you know, I mean, everyone hammers Montreal for that Carey Price contract. But what are you going to do? And the one thing Montreal wasn't going to do is let Carey Price enter his walk here. So, I mean, th- these are just the realities of the day, I think. And, and that's the one thing, if you're going to really criticize Ottawa and they're taking a lot of heat, for a million reasons, in particular, really because of ownership, but I, I felt they should have addressed Duchesne and and Stone last summer. But to their defense, they're still trying to trade Eric Carlson, so <laughs> there's a lot going on there in Canada's not in, uh, nation's capital. Now, I do want to say this about Pierre Dorian on this trade with Vegas. Like, you know, a lot of hockey fans haven't seen Eric Branston play. I've barely seen. I saw him one day at camp, actually in September when I was at Vegas camp. I mean, I talked to someone in the Vegas organization yesterday. This guy is going to be super special. Like, Pierre Dorio did get a heck of a return here for Mark Stone. Um, this this guy could be, I mean, I hate the comparison because it's really unfair, but he could he could be like another Eric that patrolled the blue line for the Senators for many years. And uh, so I will say that even though I would have handled things differently in terms of dealing with my UFAs last summer, I think, at the end of the day, Pierre Dorian got a player that Vegas is really, really going to miss, and Eric Brandstrom. Here's, you know, it's yeah. just to jump in on on Brandstrom. You know, I, I made some calls for the trade grades on that, and there mm-hmm. seems to be a, a little bit of a split on him. Like, there's there there were people that really love him. Like, you know, I have a quote, you know, A plus prospect. Like this guy, to you know, kind of echoing what you said, Pierre. Like this guy is going to be really good. Um, to people that are like, yeah. I, I like him, but he doesn't have the the high end offense. Like he's probably not going to run a power play. He, you know, he's a he's a skilled skater, smallish defenseman, but you know, probably a guy. You know, if we're being conservative, that that's going to play in your top four, but maybe it doesn't have the dynamic offensive ability that you know. Mm, well, we'll see. Yeah. High. I mean, we I mean, we're talking about a kid, right? Um, and and that's the gamble there, and so that's. I think it was interesting because some people seem to really love him and other people were like, yeah, I like him, but maybe he doesn't have the the high end that you want. And then I, and I wanted to circle back on our, this notion of, of who, you know, of trading guys early and his name never came up in this, in, you know, for a lot of reasons, but right. I, I think a guy like Taylor Hall is an interesting player because I, you know, he is going to be entering his walk year next year. And I don't mm-hmm. know if we're going to get to a point where we say hey you know what back in the 2019 trade deadline maybe that was something new jersey should have taken care of or gotten out front of right because because really and and it's interesting you say that well one of the reasons why i guess i mean contending teams wouldn't have been interested in him because you don't know like what's his playing status yeah for the rest of the year but but basically it would have been eric carlson's situation last year at the trade deadline right 
basically yeah. a year a year plus left. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I just I would say this on <clears throat> on the Ottawa deal, and maybe it's a function of you know as Pierre you you laid out the dynamics, right? I mean, Pierre Dorian cannot have that day end yesterday and still have Mark Stone, right? He and, and without him agreeing to to stay in Ottawa, so he can't. He's got to move him knowing that he can't sign him. And uh, I thought it was interesting because I thought the Duchesne, you know, the the the, the uh, qualifiers on the Duchesne deal, um, you know, if he, if he signs, it's obviously much better for Ottawa. They, they didn't get that kind of protection with the Stone deal. And I wonder, and maybe you have a sense of this, but is that a function of the timing and needing to get that deal done? And so maybe giving, you know, they get a second round pick, I think it's in 2020, right? But instead of having... You know, there isn't a first round pick in that deal. And whether you like Brenstrom or not, uh, you know, to me, that's a bit of a, you know, that's a bit of a disappointing thing for the, the senators not to have at least some um, reward, you know, to, to get the benefit. The fact that Stone does sign with Vegas in the same way that they would with the Duchesne the, the deal. Um, and I think I wonder if you think that's just a function of the way the timing went down, um, that if they if they make this deal three days ago, maybe Pierre Dorian is able to get a first round pick or at least mm-hmm. a, the conditional first round pick out of it. Because that's, I think that's something that that's a red flag for, for fans or people trying to break down this deal. Yeah. But I think the, the reason there's no conditional pick in the deal is because there's no condition needed. They knew Mark Stone had to leave as a signed player with Vegas. So that's why the conditional pick's not part of it. And I would argue, and who knows, I guess time will tell Eric Brandstrom's better than, than any first round pick acquired at this stage. Right, like yeah, the, I understand the, the, the Vegas first round pick's going to be anywhere from twenty to thirty. I don't know that you're getting Eric Brandstrom in this June's draft from twenty to thirty. So, right. I, and so from that perspective, they got the way better asset and an asset that's obviously more ready to join the NHL than an uh, an eighteen year old that hasn't gone to the draft yet in Vancouver in the, uh, this June. Um, I think it's a good. Scott raises a good point. Like you could almost argue that Duchesne return was bigger than stone and i haven't i i don't think so. that's what i'm saying i i think that even if it ends up being two first round picks for matt duchene i doubt that those first round picks will pan out as good as brandstrom i guess is what i'm saying yeah because i guess i guess you're making a bet on the kid yeah yeah, yeah. yeah i mean that's that's okay. i mean again we could debate until we're blue in the face but it but it, it you know it, it really would have depended on who they ended up trading stone to like i think with winnipeg it would have been a conditional deal that they were talking about um it, to me, I think it would have been a first, Jack Roslovic, a conditional first, and then who knows if there's another component to that deal for Mark Stone to go to Winnipeg. Obviously, the Jets were not in the position where they could have signed Stone to an extension on the spot. Right. That yeah. would have been an interesting offseason with Stone being from Winnipeg, which I don't want to open that bottle now, but uh, <laughs> what the heck, the genie's out of the bottle. I think a lot of people wondered if they would have traded Patrick Liney this summer if they had got Mark Stone. But anyway... They don't have to make that. They don't have to make that. Uh, they don't have to go down that road now. Um, and my understanding is Winnipeg pulled out fairly early yesterday because Ottawa just never moved off its initial ask, and the Jets just thought it was way too high for a player that they didn't know would be with them past these playoffs. Uh, yeah. So I don't blame Kevin Chevalier for moving on to Kevin Hayes. Yeah. What will be interesting to find out as time goes on is who truly ended up the runner-up with Ottawa. And I, you're know, seeing different things and hearing different things. I haven't nailed it down there. Some people believe it was the Islanders that Lou, Lam- which explains why Lou ended up with nothing, but that he was all in hard with Stone to the end. Uh, we were hearing names like Bovillier and a first-round pick involved, perhaps. Um, there, 
I think Nashville was in there pretty far down yesterday. And that's a fact. I confirmed that. And then at the end, Nashville was out. And so they pivoted and uh, did pretty well, I'd say. They did. Well, yeah. I, think they, I think they had the best day given how little they paid. I mean, to me, adding Granlin and Simmons in exchange for Hartman and Fiala. And listen, Fiala's got a lot of track in front of him. But to me, uh, that that is a huge upgrade day for the Nashville Predators. Um, yeah, I, I love the day David Boyle had. Well, it was a nice bounce back for you know for David Boyle because a year ago when he acquired Ryan Hartman from Chicago for a first round pick, it was as it turned out, it was probably paid way too much for a player who had a very modest impact on that team. And you're right to be able to you know a year later bring in a player like Wayne Simmons. And I just think, you know, he knows Peter Laviolette. He's played for him before in Philadelphia. Um, he's going to love playing in that city. Uh, and that fan base is going to love him to death, right? He is going to be, uh, he's going to be huge in Nashville because he plays uh, the game, the way that that crowd loves to watch hockey played. So I, I just think it's, yeah, you're right. It's, it's a terrific day for, for David Poyle and, and, and you're right, Pierre, he, he made a couple of hockey deals, right? That's, that's pretty impressive at the, the trade deadline. Cause it's, those are the hardest deals to make. I think at this time of year, here's, I, I want to make a prediction. I think this year in this spring, the trade made yesterday, that's going to have the biggest impact in the playoffs is going to be Nashville adding Groundland. I think he's yeah, going to be the, I, agree I think we're going to look back and say that was mm-hmm. the deal that, that, you know, maybe stone ultimately because of the eight year deal, but for, we're talking about one, one playoff run, I think that trade is going to be the one that we look back as having the most impact. I, I totally, I, I think there's a lot of merit to that statement. And in particular, you're talking about a Nashville team that inexplicably has had the worst power play in the league for most of the year. Yeah. yeah and, and, and I think Granlin's vision and creativity on the power play alone is going to be a factor. Yeah. All right. Uh, I want to, we're going to take a break here. We're going to end the first segment of Two Man Avenge, the podcast, the post-deadline edition. Don't go away. Craig Custins, Pierre LeBrun, will come right back. And it's going to provide a perfect segue for what will be a very short question. Pierre, I know you'll like this because I'm going to ask a very short question. Oh, boy. When we, co- when we come back. <laughs> so don't go away. All right. Very short question. We talk about the Nashville Predators. How do you see the Winnipeg Jets now? In this dynamic in the central division, having added Kevin Hayes, having you know, having been in on on some of the others, but Kevin Hayes is a guy that Winnipeg gets. Pierre, let's start with you. How does that change the dynamic in the central division? You know, I I, I love the effort from Kevin Trebledayoff and Craig Heisinger, his assistant GM, because Winnipeg. I, I watch a lot of Jets games. They've not been themselves over the past month. This isn't just the last week or so. The, the Jets have been off which is a bit surprising. They've been one of the more consistent powerhouse teams over the last two years, but they've been off. I mean, they got crushed by Montreal, lost in Ottawa, embarrassed by Colorado. They've just been off. And and what I like about the deadline yesterday is that outside of Kevin Hayes, everything else were were really just depth moves or tweaking, but it sends the message that management isn't happy and we're we're trying to fix it. And I kind of like that. I like the idea that we're, you know, they're not sitting on their hands and just hoping that it's just going to figure itself out because they've just not been themselves. So, I mean, Kevin Hayes is, is the big ad and, and big body for Western Conference hockey. I like that. Um, you know, Mark Stone would have been way better, but, um, you know, Hayes can play center. He can play wing. Paul Maurice going to have to figure out 
the whole Brian Little slash Kevin Hayes conundrum now in that second line. Someone's got to get Patrick Liney going five on five. Um, but, you know, you bring it, there's little things too, like Matt Hendricks right at the wire coming back. Man, is he popular in that Jets room, that guy. Yeah. Like no, he may no not question. even have to play a single playoff game and have an impact on that Jets room. And I know in today's age, we're only supposed to be talking about analytics. We're not allowed to talk about human beings, but, um, you know, wow. Matt, yeah, Matt, Matt, rules are rules, Pierre. Sorry. I know, <laughs> I know. But Matt Hendricks, uh, I, I love that little, that little move. Um, you know, Nick Patan for Par Lindholm uh, was interesting as well. Lindholm, a little more of an experienced player. But at the end of the day, uh, I think Nashville had the better day. And uh, the, the one thing I will tell you, we talked about this off air, Scotty, but everyone keeps automatically, you know, examining how this is going to tee up the next Jets Predators second round series. Just be careful that no one's overlooking the St. Louis Blues, is what I'm going to say. Just be careful. I know. We, and we had Doug Armstrong on last week, too. So that we know. And, and, and so no surprise that the Blues didn't do uh, well. They added Michael Delzato uh, for a sixth-round pick. Uh, but that, that's peripheral stuff. But, no, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. But, uh, Craig, I'm curious what you <laughs> okay. think. Of- hold on. Hold on. I'm not going to. The Blues aren't winning. In the, they're not coming out of the first round. I'll, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll go. I'm, I'm, I'm not worried about the Blues. <laughs> okay, so uh, so so you are so you are looking ahead to yeah, Winnipeg National Part Two. <laughs> yeah. So 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 at TSN so at TSN we call this being radioed sometimes. We'll, we'll, we do a million radio hits, uh, Bobby Mack and Driggs and I, and, and the one thing we'll see off, we'll say off and sometimes becomes a headline after. Right. So so Craig's Craig just got radioed. The Blues have no chance. <laughs> That's what Craig Cousins just said. Yeah, I'm not worried about the Blues. Sorry. <laughs> oh, All right. Oh, it's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Well, they, the, head, so, okay. the head of the head of hockey at the Athletic says the Blues have no chance. That's what Craig Cousins just said. I feel yeah. honest. I feel so bad for you guys when that happens. When like one little tiny clip gets transcribed, oh. a radio hit. Here's here's what I'm gonna say about the Jets because I was talking to somebody. Like I, I'm fine with that deal. I guess the Hayes. Like I, the price we paid was fine. I, there's a spot for him and, and, a, and a need. But I was talking to somebody and I, and I tended to agree with this. That felt like maybe the better move was to. To, to upgrade defensively for for Winnipeg, and and that was in that was a need, and maybe use those assets. Like you know, I, I look at what Toronto did, getting out early and 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 getting Jake Muzzin. I I, I know it happened so long ago, but I, I like that kind of move. I, I would have preferred mm-hmm. to do something, even a guy with term, because they're going to have the issues in the off season um, to deal with. But like you said, Pierre, there's there's other trades that can, like that that would be a good problem, even if you added a defenseman with term using that first round pick and a player. Uh, I, I kind of would have liked to see them do that, maybe. Yeah, it would have been. They would have perhaps needed to upgrade their left side. Obviously, the right side is unbelievable. Yeah, right healthy, side's but but um, but even a guy with term, maybe he's not the end of the world because Myers is up on the right side and Truba is up, although not UFA. Myers is UFA, so I, I wouldn't be so yeah. worried about the offseason that way. Yeah, that's interesting. And now, of course, Morrissey's injured. Although, as of yesterday. Barring the MRI results, it didn't sound as serious. So uh, as some people had worried about yeah it's it's you know i mean listen i i think at the end of the day mark stone to winnipeg is the thing that made the most sense in the world but didn't happen so you know that's that's life all right so so let me let me broaden the the scope just a little bit here so uh, do you find it interesting that the 
two best teams in the NHL, Tampa Bay Lightning, 100 points as we speak right now, and the Calgary Flames with 85 points. Oh, is there a, is there a gap between Tampa and the rest of the world? But uh, but the, <laughs> the two best teams in the NHL and then the leaders in their respective conferences, um, basically, um, they, they make no impact moves and you know, various levels of effort and, you know, what did Brad Treliving look for? And, you know, there was some talk early on about interest in Mark Stone, of course, because there's a connection there with his brother and all those kinds of things. But, um, Pierre, let me start with you. Are you concerned with either of those teams, given that they basically, both GMs, Julian Breezeball in Tampa and Brad Treliving in, in Calgary at the end of the day said, you know what? We're okay. And, 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 and we're going to, you know, we're going to, we're going to be happy with what we've got because we think we've got enough. Are you, do you think that's a fair characterization? And, and do you have a concern about either of those teams really standing pat at the deadline? What was your question again? That was a long one. I'm just, <laughs> that was, it was a little bit. Uh, <laughs> just saying, uh, I'm giving you talking points, Calgary, Tampa, yeah. No impact trade. No, I, I would disagree with your assertion. I, I don't think I would tie those two teams together in a linear fashion. I think Tampa, yes, can live with the Sam Pat because literally they have no holes. Now, I wrote for a month to the point where I would get the odd text from someone in Tampa organization saying, stop it. But I love the idea of, of Wayne Simmons to Tampa. I thought, <laughs> I, I, thought I, 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 I thought it was uh, a fit um, and not not a need. But I did not like the way Tampa got pushed around at the end of the Eastern Conference Final against Washington last year. Now, they may never have to play Washington again. So maybe who cares? Although they might have to play Boston. But uh, I, I, that was more of a cherry on the Sunday moment if they could have. And, and, and I can tell you with a surety that Julian Breezeboy did circle back to Chuck Fletcher at some point in the days leading up to the deadline. But anyway, it never came to, it never, it never came to fruition. But otherwise, I, I'm fine with Tampa obviously standing pat. They're stacked. And not only are they stacked at the NHL level, but they, they've got a terrific team in Syracuse, lots of talent at the HL level. They have injuries. Uh, they can give a kid a chance. So I, I have no problem. It's way different in Calgary. Now, listen, the Flames are in first place after being a bubble team the last few years. So so their season's already a success no matter what. I think people forget to look at it from that perspective. But the reality is, Scott, Brad Treeliving, tried like a crazy man to add okay sure this isn't yeah. this isn't julian breezebo with his uh flip-flops up in tampa smoking <laughs> a, smoking, a, smoking a cigar during the deadline here i mean brad had elbow grease going and he was in there trying to get something done and we talked at the top that we don't know all the details right. yet but but i think calgary thought they had a deal with the minnesota wild that's one two uh, they tried like heck on Mark Stone. It wasn't just early on. They tried as long as they could yesterday on Mark Stone. They they really, really wanted Mark Stone. They wanted him more on July 1st so that they didn't have to give up any assets. But they really, really wanted Mark Stone. They tried on Kevin Hayes. They tried on Max Zuccarello over the weekend before he went to Dallas. They called on Wayne Simmons. I believe Calgary's on Wayne Simmons' no trade list. So I don't know how that played out, but they tried on Wayne Simmons. So let's not pretend. I mean, I get what Brad Living has to say after it's all over, and there's a lot of merit to what he said. But let's not pretend that he was feeling as comfortable as Julian Breezeway yesterday, because I, I don't know that that's fair. Right. Well, and I wasn't suggesting he didn't do anything, but at the end of the day, 
the team is the, what it is. And I wonder whether, and so Craig, maybe you, you can address this part. Do you like Calgary now, given what, what happened with the other powers in the Western Conference? And you know, we talk about Nashville and Winnipeg. We know Gus Nyquist goes to a very good San Jose team. Boy, that team is, boy, you know, Pete DeBoer's got all kinds of options there. We talked about Mark Stone in Vegas and, and, and the players they have that are, are playoff tested. We know their experience. You know, Calgary's sort of an outlier here, you know, but 19 wins on the road. Only Tampa has more road wins. They have a plus 45 goal differential, won five in a row. Man, that's, you know, I've been slow to come around to the flames, but that's a, it's such an impressive job by Bill Peters and, and by Brad for living. And, and this is all with, with James Neal contributing virtually nothing. And I, I so I wonder, Craig, do you, so when you look at the flames, you go, well, they'll, re, you know, they'll regret you know, Brad will regret not being able to get any of the things he wanted to do done. Or maybe at the end, it's a blessing because at some point, James Neal is going to come to town and 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 we know he can play in the playoffs. And and maybe this is one of those, hey, best trade is, uh, is sometimes the one you don't make. Yeah, I don't think their lack of a deal precludes them from success. I mean, I, you know, the, the, I was a little surprised there weren't any goalie moves, right? Like San Jose was is a team that hasn't gotten great goaltending this year, and and you could argue that maybe Calgary could have upgraded there, and and that to me will be interesting if if one of these powerhouses out west that are that are stocked everywhere else ends up you know not having the goaltending in crunch time in the playoffs, and and maybe there was a deal to be made there. Um, but in terms of teams that didn't do anything that I was disappointed in, like I, I, I agreed with Julian Brisebois' approach uh, in Tampa. They have 100 points. They're all set. You know, no need to upset the apple cart there. I thought the Islanders were going to do something. And, mm-hmm. and they I'm, tried. Yeah, no, right. I, and, and they have, you know, they're stocked with assets. They've got a ton of young, you know, good young players. They, we connected them to everybody. Um, and they're sitting in first place in the Metro. Like, it was one of those classic, like, this team should be rewarded. They've got space to sign guys, so they could have made this huge splash for, let's say, Panarin or whatever and, and tried to get in early on him. And, uh, you know, uh, of all the teams that didn't do anything, that was the one that I, I would say I'd be the most critical of. Yeah. Well, I don't think I don't think Yarmo Kekalone is ever trading Arturi Panarin within his own division to a team yeah. he might. I just don't think so. I think right. if Panarin was going anywhere, it was either going to the Atlantic or, or more notably to the Western Conference. I mean, yeah. remember, this is a Columbus team that hopes to get out of the Metro. So I I always thought it was a misnomer that the Islanders even had a chance at Panarin, in my opinion. They have yeah. a chance at him July 1st, for sure, more than ever now. But uh, I, I just didn't think Yarmo would make that trade. Right? I, bang on, though, Craig. I, you know, Obviously, that's a disappointing day for, for the Islanders and their fans, I would say. But... Uh, I will disagree with one thing you said, though. I, I, the goalie upgrade thing is a red herring to me. And, and, and I'll tell you why. I, I think the NHL, as a collective, learned a great lesson from Ryan Miller going to St. Louis at the mm. deadline. And I think the lesson is it's very difficult to uproot your goaltending midseason. I, I think goaltending is something that you decide in July and August and you live with it. And, and it works or it doesn't work. But the reason I bring that up, and I've talked to teams about this, okay, you tell me. So you're San Jose and Calgary. And you acquire Jimmy Howard. You explain to me how that works now with the other two guys. Walk me through both situations. 
I don't know. I have to send somebody no, I, back. I'm not, I no, yeah. I, I'm not. I, I'm not being. I'm just. I'm asking you. How would you yeah. handle both? No, that's eat. that's a good question. I, I I don't know. But like, I, and I know Ryan Miller like basically put put an end to all this. But like, it was all, how, how far was like Dwayne Rollison before that who basically saved a season in Tampa? Yeah, went, went off well, and a bunch of wins. Like I don't. Well, you know, there's ways to figure this out. Well, it's not even just Tampa. I mean, he, Dwayne Hurlson went, at, I believe, was a deadline deal in 06 and went to uh, went from Minnesota to Edmonton. Took the right. the O'Hillers but, 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 to get one of the but, final before getting there. But I guess my point is again. So let's go to Calgary first. I'll, I'll do it since Craig didn't want to do it. Um, <laughs> so 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 because I think Calgary did check in on Jimmy Howard a couple of weeks ago and then decided to back off. Okay, Jimmy Howard comes to Calgary. First of all, is he your starter now? Probably, right? Yeah. Depends on how he plays. Okay. Who's your backup? Mike Smith. Oh, so you're set, you're sending David Riddich, who, who literally has carried the Flames all year, to the minors? Uh, you just you set the scenario out. I'm just telling no, you that's I, what you do. I, I, okay, so there you go. So there's an awkward good luck. You know, the guy yeah, thanks, probably, thanks, David. It was a great run, but you're yeah. not. I, I don't want to start my playoff series with you. How about, okay, like, well. I don't know. Craig, you're the one who wanted to bring him in anyway. Now I yeah. see. Now I'm, yeah. so, I'm under the so, bus on it. So so now let's go to San Jose. San Jose brings in Jimmy Howard. No, like like hold on, no, hold on, hold on. Like look, great great story, but are you 100 percent confident? Like who would you rather have in a seven game playoff series? Jimmy uh, Howard or David Riddich? Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know. I'm asking. Yeah, I don't know that I have an answer. Um, <laughs> And 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 in San Jose, here's my issue with San Jose. Obviously, it's not the end of the world to to say to Aaron Dell, "Hey, you're a super guy, but you're either on waivers or you're uh, traded or you're in the Barracuda, whatever." And so we're going Martin Jones and Jimmy Howard every single day the rest of the year. The question to Pete DeBoer is, "Who's your starter?" I, I'm just saying. It, it's, yeah. I, I think maybe not. Is Martin Jones even that good? Uh, I think I, I think he can be, and I think he has to be the guy because of the contract they gave him. You have to stick with yeah, him. You just so uh, yeah. So again, I, I think that there are things that sound good to us, especially when we run our fantasy hockey league, that sometimes don't <laughs> don't apply in real life. I, and 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 I always find it instructive to sit down and say, well, how does this work? You know, like I'm always, oh, that team should have that player, and then someone explains to me they already have four right wingers. You know, like I'm just saying, there's yeah. sort of a yeah. human slash practical side. To I it just I, there may like I don't think it's out of the question to say one of these teams that is so set up, like that's going to be what ultimately sinks them in the playoffs, right? Uh, well, and that and may they, be absolutely, yeah. And I, I would only add just on the goaltending thing, it, the, the one the one thing that you know maybe George McPhee was so busy with, with Mark Stone, but to me Vegas was the obvious team that needed to. They need to give Mark Andre Fleury some help, right? I mean, I haven't looked yes. lately, but at one point, Malcolm Subban had two wins. I mean, I think he's got another one. So he, whatever it is, basically, if Mark Andre Fleury doesn't get a win, Vegas doesn't win. And that was a team that I thought, and you know, with Cam Talbot going to Philly, we thought that might have been. I talked to some scouts who felt that that was a natural move for Edmonton to to send Talbot to Vegas. But, and I know Kenny Holland made noise about wanting a first round pick for Jimmy Howard, but come on. Now well, he wanted Jimmy a first Howard. round pick for Gus Nyquist too. Yeah, we all want first round that. picks. Yeah, so yeah. I, I would have. That's the one team that I was in terms of 
geez, that would have been a good fit for, because, you know, no one's well, asking even, well, who's even, your starter. Uh, well, even, you could have done a lesser move just to, I mean, I just, you know, you could have picked up Keith Kincaid to come in and back up. Just well, exactly. a little more. 33 yeah. future draft pick. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. um, all right, so Ray, we're getting... Ray Shiro acquired a nine-year-old yesterday. Is that, <laughs> is that not against the law? Like, <laughs> uh, I thought Ray had a pretty good day, pretty good uh, trade Deadline period, though, for a guy whose team took a pretty big step back. Uh, but um, okay, so um, I, I, we're slowly sliding toward the end of Two Man Advantage, the podcast post trade deadline edition. Um, let's start with you, Pierre. This will give you a chance, Craig, to think about this. Let's see. Was there a move that you were like, geez, that, I did not see that coming, or boy, I really can't wait to see how that works, or. Um, you know, maybe a team that's uh, on the bubble or maybe deeper in the playoff pack that you're like, you know what, that was, you know, that that, that guy deserves a, a gold star for making that move or anything in that uh, along those lines for you. Well, Craig already mentioned it, but I think one of the great underrated moves of the trade deadline period was Nyquist to San Jose. Uh, I mean, Doug Wilson has, he just, I mean, it, it's just exactly the move. I mean, he couldn't get in on the big guys because he traded all his first round picks for Vander Kane and Eric Carlson. But to get Nyquist for a second round pick and a conditional third, I mean, that is Craig knows more than us. He, he watched him play his entire career in Detroit. That guy's a good player. And now, and now he gets to go play on the third line with Joe Thornton. He's going to get third, third deep airings the rest of the season. Oh, like, come on. I mean, Who's going to shoot the puck though? Those two love to pass. <laughs> yeah, it back and forth. This is this is true. So I I, re- I really love that move. Um, to go on the negative side, I, it's just I I can't believe that Edmonton didn't have a market for Alex Jason, who only makes the he was on a PTO. He makes no money, and is that a good year? Uh, I don't know this for a fact, but that if they truly decided just not to deal him, uncle, like come on, I, I mean. Yeah. <laughs> like so that's that was one that surprised me only because teams are so many contenders are right at the cap and i thought jason would be a, an easy little depth ad yeah he's had a great year he's he's been he's been terrific for them right like you're right it was a no-brainer to that he should have been somewhere else right i mean it just anyway well, uh, teams love adding the big winger right like that's the classic you know we want some size in the playoffs move mm-hmm. yeah craig how about you what to what sort of we're where did your eye want? Were we surprised about it? Like, yeah, positive or negative? To me, it was the Grandland deal. I was, uh, you know, Russo teed it up earlier that day, basically predicting it. But I was mm-hmm. still like, when it happened, I was like, wow, I, I just loved it for Nashville. I, and I was, you know, it's it was uh, more of a kind of a hockey trade than we've seen. And, and it was on point with what Paul Fenton's doing. Um, you know, consistently tr- trading for younger players, cheaper players that maybe have some upside. Um, but I just I, that that was you know uh, looking back at, at the day. That's that's the one I think is going to end up winning the day this year. I, I just loved that deal for Nashville. I, yeah. It's interesting. Paul Fenton stole Doug Armstrong's briefcase. What? Uh, I, I see you guys want me to keep talking. Yeah, a, a playoff team that is unloading. So that was yes. St. Louis, St. Louis trading Kevin Chattenkirk one year, trading Paul Stashney last year when they were in the playoff spot, but because they're saying, you know what, we're not going anywhere. And that's what Paul Fenton's doing. I, I, I respect it. I mean, it's pretty yeah. honest. Like, I don't yeah, know that the- Bruce Boudreau would be as excited about the, uh, <laughs> about the move. <laughs> 
I, I will say this though, like the, the the wild, you know, they have said this is it's given them energy. Like this, you know, when you bring it, you've had the same group for years there, and we kind of know how it's going to end. And and uh, talking to some of those players, they're like, yeah, this was a bit of a wake up call, and and you know, this, this it's brought some juice to the team when you bring in youth. And I like I I I don't think it necessarily means a step back this year. Like these are guys that can come in and play. These aren't first round picks or whatever. In the future, and and to yeah. touch one thing on on that, I thought Edmonton did right was I, I, I thought hanging on to Poliarvi was was the smart move. I mean, his name was yeah. in circulation. I, I couldn't imagine a worse time to trade this guy. Banged up, you know, confidence down, values at its lowest. Like, why in the world would you move him now unless somebody's for some reason really stepping up with an offer? So, um, I, I I do like how they basically decided just to push that down the line. I, and I think that was a total smokescreen anyway from the beginning, Craig. I, I don't think he was ever available. I think they had to pretend that he was available to appease <laughs> the agent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't I think that was all BS from the get go. And, and and the real reason it was BS is not only because you you perfectly described it. I mean Edmonton's made enough trades, I think we can agree where they trade the guy to his lowest value from Justin <laughs> Schultz to to Jordan Eberly to all these other guys. So Taylor so Hall even yeah, so you have to you know, it's a terrible time to move Pugliarvi. But on top of that, the guy that should be making that decision is is the actual GM, yeah. which they haven't hired yet. So, yeah. uh, you know, that's the other part of it for sure. Uh, and <laughs> by, by, by the way, we mentioned Minnesota. You know what trade I already love is Donato, Brian Donato, Minnesota. I, I, I got to tell you, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to criticize Don Sweeney, but I don't know about the Bruins deadline. I got to be mm-hmm. honest. Uh you know, there's Marcus Johansson fit there. We'll see. Uh, I'm a big fan of his. I think he's a really cerebral player. But, you know, again, does he fit into the way the Bruins play? And I don't know. I'm not so sure Denial's not already a better player than Charlie Coyle. So I'm just going to drop the mic now. Yeah. I, I, to talk to a scout who felt that as long as the Bruins kept Charlie Coyle at center, he was going to be okay. But uh, we'll, we'll see. And I know I'm talking to Joey Mack, our good pal. He... he is looks like he's going to play center. Uh, I think they moved David Backus to the wing, and uh, but any he's he's a guy who has you know showed flashes and then has has stalled in his development. So it'll be it'll be interesting. But Donato certainly made a, a, an immediate impact in in Minnesota and obviously motivated to prove the Bruins wrong. But uh, so it's my, in my turn. Here, I'll give you two two guys that I or two two moments that I was very, I was impressed by Look at that Carolina Hurricanes team after talking for weeks of where Michael Furlan was going to go. Uh, you know, he ends up staying with the Canes there as we're speaking right now, they own a playoff spot. And the deal for me uh, that has been, and it may be the one that tips them over and, and into the playoffs for the first time since 09 is uh, we talked about Minnesota bringing in Nino Niederreiter, who has just been on fire scoring virtually every game for the, the uh, Hurricanes, and they get Jordan Stahl back. I, I don't know. They you know, they kept the, the, all the rumors about Dougie Hamilton, kept that team intact. I, I, I think they, they, it's still uphill, right? I mean, they gotta, they got to keep Pittsburgh at bay. They, you know, maybe they can, you know, maybe Montreal falls out of it, but uh, it's still an uproad battle. But I think Carolina's going to make it. I think they're going to be a playoff team. So, mm-hmm. like, with me? Yeah. Yeah. Nay? Yeah, I forget, I, is it you that's been saying that for 10 years or me? One of us has been saying that. <laughs> Hey, it has to happen at least once every decade. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I mean, you guys, I know you guys both have close ties to the Hurricanes as well. And, and my understanding is, oof, it, I mean, it came pretty close on Berlin. Let's not kid ourselves. Like, they right. <laughs> they took a lot of calls yesterday and had some caucuses. And 
as I tweeted yesterday, Toronto and Nashville were probably the hardest charging in the final hour. I don't know what they were offering. Uh, I shouldn't say that. I believe that Nashville offered Ryan Hartman at about 20 minutes to the deadline. And so it ends up being Ryan Hartman going for Wayne Simmons. So FYI, a little interesting intrigue there. But uh, um, I think they made the right decision. I mean, you know, if you take Furlan out of that room and you really get nothing back that can help you now, I mean, I guess Hartman would have helped them, but it sends the wrong message. Yeah, it sends yeah. the wrong message. See, what they would have done, I think, is if, it's like they kicked the tires on Jason Zucker, for example, I know earlier in the day yesterday. So if Carolina could have gone out and got a Ford that could play in their top six, top nine that they really liked and then turned around and got the best possible offer, including a first round pick for Michael Furlan, then maybe they can, maybe that makes sense. Right. But I think yeah. the idea of, of just selling high on Furlan and not really helping their team now, they just couldn't stomach yeah. So I'm looking at the standings now. If you had to pick one that gets in between Carolina and Pittsburgh, if we're saying Carolina's a playoff team, or who who are we removing from this equation? Like I, I well, I Montreal, Montreal, Montreal yeah. too. Yeah, yeah. Montreal's not about. No, yeah. I'm not saying Montreal's out. They've shown us all year that I always bounce back when you start to worry about them. But I'm just saying that's can be close between all three teams. I think. Well, and I looked at. Uh, was it Dom from uh, yeah. from our group who did the 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 difficulty of schedule uh, not too long ago? I would say a week or so ago, which was really uh, helpful in in this kind of exercise. Habs have a, a brutal schedule. They 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 have I think one of the most difficult schedules down mm. the stretch. Mm-hmm. Didn't you know made no meaningful you know no impact moves, which was the the plan for Mark Bergerman. But uh, of those three teams and Pittsburgh, man, they are. It was a very odd deadline for them, of course, with uh, Brian Dumoulin out now with a concussion after a controversial hit from Wayne Simmons during the uh, stadium series game. You know, Chris Letang gets nicked up. Uh, Ole Matt is out. So they end up having to bring in Eric Goodbrinson. Not sure he's plays exactly the way that Mike Sullivan likes to play. But, you know, the, the Penguins, there's just something. And, and Matt Murray is, you just don't know what you're going to get with Matt Murray, right? Lots of nights he's really good. He was really good for a lot of that game against Philadelphia and then just terrible, right? And they end up blowing a huge lead and losing in overtime. So, you're, Scotty, Scotty, you're going to, they're going to revoke your membership at Shales if you're, I'm not saying <laughs> they're out. I'm, I'm not saying they're out. I'm well, just you, saying this, us in. So then, you, you know, yeah, I, you I think saying. Montreal comes out. To answer your question, I think Montreal comes out. What do you yeah. think, Craig? Oh, I, I don't know. So, I'm gonna so just... I'm, I'm going to predict your answer before you say it, okay? Oh, go, uh, yeah, go ahead. You're going to predict Carolina's out. I'm going to predict Carolina's out. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Right. Well, we're going we're, we're gonna to do, we're going to have, we'll have Craig back on that last week of the regular season as we get ready for the playoffs and we'll revisit this conversation. So, but on that note, boys, a fine morning after the night before podcast, great trade deadline discussion. So Craig, thank you for doing that. And Pierre, do you have a? Is it what time? When when is wine time today? I know you got work. You got follow up to no, do. No, I have another Habs game. Uh, TSN oh telecast. I have oh. Detroit. I have uh, Montreal, Detroit. Craig, there you go. I'm I'll acting be... like that game isn't even happening. I'm like, you know what? <laughs> <laughs> it matters for one team, not the other. Let's yeah, that's that right. Yeah, well, Montreal coming off a, a disappointing loss to another team out of the playoff mix in New Jersey. So, all right. Well, boys. Fine work as always, and um, we'll do it again soon. Thanks for hanging out.